Cool. Gene, do you want to? Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, maybe you have some stuff or Kyle or, or, or Jacqueline. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'll look up my links while you guys are doing that. Okay, cool. Tom, you want to start? Um, Jacqueline, do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, so uh, this week for me was all about space. And there were a couple really interesting articles that came out. The first was, let me screen share here. I'll pull this up. All right. <clears throat> Hello. Nope. So Ooh. can you can you see that screen? Yes. So the company Vection Technologies was contracted to build a VR metaverse platform for NASA's return to the moon, which sounds absolutely insane and amazing. Um, if anybody is interested in getting on the Vection Technologies train, they are actually a tradable company. So that's kind of cool. Um, but they were contracted to create a virtual reality space station. So this, so this sums it up pretty well. Lunar City, through its flagship project called Travel Space Real Time, will allow the public to reach space in real time and will rely on VR to achieve an immersive experience emulating an actual space journey ahead of NASA's return to the moon. Um, and so the article goes on to say that they are going to be providing real time data and sending it back. Uh, so not everybody is going to have access to that real-time data. It's the highest level is going to be accessible to universities and researchers, but they are going to make some of that available for the general public to get in on, um, when, especially when it comes to experiencing what's happening. The theoretically, both uh, in the travel to the moon as well as in the lunar space station. So I was joking around and said that I might actually consider creating an avatar and checking on it more than zero times in that metaverse. If the metaverse is actually on the moon with real moon data, that is amazing. That is one of the best use cases for a metaverse, like a true metaverse experience that I have come up against. <clears throat> and um, let's see. The, I was trying to double check and see which of the, I know it mentions a university that they're going to be working through. If you're interested, um, you can flip back through this article, but does anybody have any, anything to say about metaverses on the moon? I, I'm surprised it says in this article that the company only has a market cap of like eight, $87 million. Yeah. And We'll see what happens. That just seems really low, especially if NASA is funding them. Although you can do a lot with not a lot of money. I was I was listening to a podcast actually on movie development and how we don't have any mid-range movies. We have indie films that I think you have to be under 10 million and then big budget films, which are many, 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 many millions. But the mid-range of like 20 to 30 million was a sweet spot for a lot of actors because you could do more than 
an indie development company, but you didn't have, you had to rely more on story and get really creative and you weren't necessarily relying on, you know, gigantic explosions. And so we'll see what happens. I mean, millions and millions is still millions and millions. And um, I, if, the project goes well, maybe it would continue to be ref- continue to be funded. I mean, especially since they're a publicly traded company, I could see they're being able to have a lot more funding if the project takes off. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. How does this go? Like, for example, like what will be the experience looks like when uh, people jump into the moon in VR? Is that that are they going to scan the entire moon as a three D model and everyone jump in and uh, wear their VR headset and walk there. And since uh, the gravity feeling will be different, maybe they need to bundle with some certain of device and lift everyone like gravity free or something. One sixth yeah. of the gravity. I, I, I don't know the exact number, but uh, yeah, it, it will be really interesting to, 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 to be feeling like a real moon. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you need any sort of haptic device or sensory device in general to experience the weightlessness. One of the big things about VR is if you're on a roller coaster, you don't necessarily need any feedback device, but your brain still feels like it's on a roller coaster. Or there, I know there's one, um, <clears throat> there's a VR project of the name is Escaping Me, VR Zoom maybe, <clears throat> where um, you are flying and you're using a bicycle and the bicycle is propelling your motion and it feels like you're flying. So I wonder if right now we really need any feedback to feel if our avatars are, you know, bouncing around on the moon in that very stereotypical, you know, like one giant leap for mankind, if, you know, we would need something like that, or if just that experience of popping around would be enough to feel interesting we'll see what we'll see what happens um and then the other one is also about the moon let me stop sharing real quick why can't i stop sharing here it is and then i'll pull this other one up I think this is the one. Yeah. So <clears throat> this one is about sensory experiences again. Um, and there is a research team that is working on an olfa- olfactory experience to be able to combat the loneliness and support mental health of astronauts in years long space missions. And so uh, Dr. Anita Diaz Artiles, I apologize if I got that name wrong, um, but she is a researcher in the Department of Astronautical Engineering at Texas A&M and her as well as I I believe it's one of her students has been working on smell capsules that you can partner with a VR headset experience to be able to trigger positive memories, to be able to aid in therapy and um, emotional distress. And so let's see, I know that there's been a lot of 
there's been a lot of work that's been done with VR headsets in senior care centers, smelling lavender or smelling citrus. Both of those are essential oils that um, have a lot of research behind them as calming the nervous system. And, um, but also it's no secret that smells trigger a lot of emotions. And so one of the smells that they were working on was grass, because if you're out in space and you're in the cold, dense nothingness of black abyss, then I could totally see something like grass or I don't I think another one that they mentioned was the smell of coming up to uh yeah an astronaut can walk to a river in virtual reality and hear the water and smell the wet grass on the bank um and I mean absolutely that is one of my favorite smells or you know it'll be interesting if if they can create their own smells. So, you know, a, a particular fragrance that a, a loved one wears or the smell of apple pie or, you know, chocolate chip cookies or something just like super warming and uh, feel good would be really interesting. Um, and then they uh, they do mention that people potentially would be able to set, to send virtual care packages, which I don't actually know how that would work, like how you would get the smells to space. I mean, I guess if they're there for the rest of their lives, which gives me like, <laughs> gives me a heaviness in, in my chest and in my bones thinking about the fact that we are there in, in the world, we're there that people are going to start terraforming you know, that you'd have these virtual care packages of smells like smelling flowers or, you know, again, something that reminds them of home seems absolutely amazing. Yeah, those are really good. So, uh, for example, like um, if people want to go like it, it's kind of like a virtual reality training for um, astronauts and how it will feel or smell in Mars and mm -hmm. Recently, I, I, I've been watching a lot of like a discovery channel for the space and Mars. It seems like a long time ago, it was more like Earth, but now it becomes uh, a lot of like a, a place like a desert. Um, in in that show, it says that Mars is like a death valley or, or somewhere in Earth mm -hmm. that where it's pretty like uh, there's no life and um, everything is dirt. And uh, my question is that, uh, like, is this for training for everyone or it's uh, targeting on astronaut? So I think that right now it's just targeting the astronauts who are specifically going to be doing, in the article it says extended periods of time, but <clears throat> if I read between the lines, my again, I'm like, <laughs> I wouldn't I would not be able to be the person that gets in a rocket ship and is like, goodbye, Earth. I'm gonna just terraform a planet. But that would be my guess is that they're trying to figure out the missions that are you're spending the rest of your life out on a new planet. And you know, we're sending a group of elite men and women to make their babies out there if it's possible and martian new yeah. martian oh and then they will be little martians they will officially be alien babies 
which is crazy. Yeah, if you are born there, even though you are a human, you should be Martian because mm-hmm. yeah, with your national. Earth citizenship, you can have dual citizenship, Martian and Earth citizenship. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very powerful. Yeah, and 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 us, yeah, like a, before I listen to one podcast. It seems like there's a university. They are study like the the kind of like how to make human go there because when we travel to Mars, it takes around six months just for traveling, right?、Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of like a one way trip because it seems like it's it 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 takes some technologies for ah、uh, the the spaceship to recharge in Mars、mm-hmm. and come back. So some people think that, uh, yeah, the 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 travel and also, be, uh, human inside space it will harm our body as well. So some people kind of do the research about freezing ourselves and then go there.、Oh, yeah. And a- according to the research, it seems like when people's body or embryo, I don't know, whatever got freezed, and it's reducing the aging. Mm-hmm. For example, like we like every year we age, like there's a certain speed. But if we freeze ourselves and teleport to, yeah, and send ourselves to Mars, and it seems like the time will be elastic. So our entire body, if we unfroze ourselves, and、uh, we will age much slower. So, so it's interesting because before I was thinking about wow, if it takes six months, then it will have. A lot of opportunities to create a lot of entertainment. Ah,、uh, when you know when、uh, people are traveling, six months there is nowhere you can go, right? And it just stuck in that sheep. So, ah,、uh, maybe VR or some、uh, entertainment will be interesting. Just just imagine you take a an airplane to somewhere instead of two days. It's six months. Six months. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> feel bad in your body for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six months in an airplane. Yeah, well, and I know that <clears throat> that that same the 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 let's see, I don't know. Go back to her name. So I want to, yeah, Dr. Anna Diaz. I think she goes by Diaz.、Uh, Dr. Diaz、um, was coupling the smells along with the sensory or along with the. The visuals, so that I mean, you would have you would have to do something. There's no way that you could stare in the inside of a cockpit for six months and then be useful to anyone. I mean, you would. That's that's to me. It feels like that is a trauma in and of itself. That you are then expecting these these people who have gone through some incredibly traumatic experiences to then just hit the play button and be like, "All right, let's be scientists." And you know, not mess all of these millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment up. <laughs> there's there's that whole component of you know, it's not just that it's smelling lavender is good and it keeps you less stressed, but it, figuring out ways to truly keep people safe like that. The the weight of that type of trauma is it's crazy, really、mm-hmm. crazy. Well. I have something to contribute to this.、Um, it's I know this is going to sound like science fiction, but NASA has actually done experiments to verify this.、Um, there's this stuff that we've known about for quite a while,、um, you know, over a hundred years or so.、Uh, 
uh, called quantum foam, which, um, you know, you you generally think that a vacuum in space has nothing in it, but that's far from the truth. Everywhere, including a vacuum in space, has this spontaneous generation of particles, uh, particles and antiparticles. So these particles just suddenly wink into existence. And um, then you have this a lot of this going on. And then gradually, the uh, particles and antiparticles uh, collide from this process and annihilate each other. Uh, so it's matter and antimatter annihilating each other. So there's sort of a, a exchange between generation of these particles, and then they annihilate each other and generate energy. So it's sort of an equilibrium. And um, this goes on everywhere. It's going on in your thumbnail right now. Uh, it, it goes on everywhere. And um, the way it was first uh, discovered was um, there was a, a physicist named Heinrich Casimir in the, I believe it was in the Netherlands. He was given the task of figuring out why mayonnaise was more difficult to stir than was predicted by physics, uh, the van der Waals forces in physics. So he figured this out and he, he just basically discovered the quantum foam. And um, yes. this is something that people have known about. Uh, they've known the effects of this for a long time, hundreds of years, where, for example, if you take two highly polished metal plates and put them close to each other or up against each other, they're much harder to pull apart than what is otherwise predicted by the rules of physics. And why does this happen? Well, it happens because as you pull the, the plates apart, uh, you've got all these all this these quantum foam particles bouncing against the outside of the plates that tends to push them together. But then on the inside, you don't have a similar thing. You don't have the quantum foam particles pushing against the plates from the inside, the interface between the two plates, because the plates are made out of metal and particles which you might know from the study of physics, have both a particle uh, character and a wave character. And um, so the metal, the, the metal plates neutralize the wave aspect of the particles. So you don't have the presence of the particles between the two plates. It's like if you uh, are listening to an FM radio station, for example, and you drive through a tunnel those tunnels have uh, steel metal rebar reinforcement bars inside of them, which cancel out the radio signal. In a similar way, these metal plates cancel out the wave nature of those particles and antiparticles. So you have the quantum foam pushing the plates together from the outside, but not pushing the plates apart from the space between them. And so therefore you have this force that pushes the plates together, and they're very difficult to pull apart, uh, much more difficult than what's otherwise predicted by physics. And people have known that for hundreds of years. They just didn't understand why. And so anyways, um, <clears throat> you have this, this quantum foam that's everywhere. And so NASA scientists did uh, some experiments. And um, one experiment was, they found that they could use this quantum foam 
as a means of propulsion. So if you have a nuclear reactor, small nuclear reactor inside your spacecraft, you can actually, instead of carrying all this rocket fuel with you, uh, that's a propellant and, and, you know, a lot of the energy that you expend to get the rocket into space and so forth is to propel this rocket fuel that you're carrying along with you. But it turns out you don't have to have the rocket fuel because you can use the quantum foam as a propellant. All you need is a nuclear reactor that's, uh, that's fuel, that feeds uh, an electromagnetic field that uh, spits out these particles as your propellant. So it's ejecting this mass behind the spacecraft and that's propelling it along. So you no longer need the rocket fuel. All you need is that small nuclear reactor. So that's one huge advance. And so they're working on, you know, prototype stuff for this. They're trying to understand uh, a lot of this stuff. Uh, and um, yeah, the- it also, I, I just said looking up an article, it says that <clears throat> they're also experimenting with communication and tra- just like you're saying communication and travel that uh communication methods it it may allow for a high definition photographs and videos to be sent faster and more efficiently because of the however they're sending it and i don't have any idea how that science works but well, that they're they are experimenting with sending videos and photos via quantum computing in space which i'll put put a link to that in the chat that'll be interesting to see um uh so anyways there's that and so it's a propulsion system and a more advanced propulsion system and then there's another thing that they discovered uh if you excite the quantum foam in, in front of your spacecraft at certain specific microwave frequencies, it cause actually causes a contraction of space-time, which they measured, which the NASA scientists measured. And um, so this is the stuff of science fiction. This is the stuff of- (laughs) Yeah, this is the stuff of how people theorize that UFOs work and all this stuff, but this is not UFOs. This is real life experiments that NASA has been doing. And other people have have done similar experiments throughout the world. And um, so if you can contract space-time in front of your vehicle, that's a way of traveling faster through space. Mm -hmm. And if you can use the quantum foam as a propulsion system for your spacecraft, that's another way of having a faster spacecraft. So the NASA scientists estimate that if they can uh, implement a spacecraft that uses these mechanisms, you could travel to Mars in about three weeks. Mind blown, mind blown alert. (laughs) That's Um, so cool. Yeah, I I, I watched like a Michio Kaku's show. It's like a turn sci-fi movie into reality. Uh, For him, when he was trying to design the 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 rocket to travel to the space he mentioned that yeah something very similar to um, james idea that how can you carry that fuel and travel around yeah. it's impossible uh, yeah. and the fuel will run out right so uh he came up with idea which is doing you know the the foil something like a very um very special made foil and then end to the sun or, or somewhere there's some um, some energy and form like a plasma, 
some some something interesting, yeah. like a very similar to 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 what you describe. So, yeah, and then make uh, and then get the energy out of it and turn into energy, something like that. Yeah. There, here, well, here's another one. The um, I used to work at Hughes Research Labs in Malibu in the in the mountains above Pepperdine University, and um, uh, the guy in the office next door to me was named Robert L. Forward, and um. You would often see him at the various NASA space launches. Like he would go to JPL. He always got invited to go to JPL. And um, you could always see him because he had these really bright, colorful uh, uh, vests that he wore. His his wife made him a bunch of these vests. So he was a friend of mine. He was in the office next, next to me. And um, in fact, he invented the first... Um, uh, gravity wave detector which is in the smithsonian now and um but uh he got a contract from the air force not in his capacity at his research labs but as an individual they hired him uh to do a study uh to create uh, to to design an antimatter propulsion system now, this is the same propulsion system that the Starship Enterprise uses in Star Trek. And, and so- Fangirly, um, fangirl moment. What's that? <laughs> it's a fangirl moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyways, uh, he had this contract from the Air Force to design uh, this antimatter propulsion system for spacecraft. And so he took like six months off and um, he worked on this. He's, you know, went home and worked on this. And um, he came back and he gave a talk on it. And um, it was just fascinating. Uh, he designed this. And, and, and so you had to have, how, how do you store the antimatter? Well, it's very dicey stuff because just a tiny amount of antimatter, if it happens to hit some matter, it, you just have like a, the equivalent explosion of an atomic bomb. Uh, with just a very small amount of antimatter. So you have to, how do you contain it? You can't just throw it in a bottle because the, the walls of the bottle would be made out of glass, for example, and that's matter. So how do you contain it? Well, you have to use what's called a magnetic bottle. And uh, what the magnetic bottle does is it's, it has a vacuum inside and um, it uses uh, a magnetic field to suspend the antimatter so that it doesn't touch the walls. Uh, and and I, I, I asked him, I said, you know, this magnetic bottle requires electricity, right? And uh, so let's say you've got it like plugged into the electricity in your spacecraft. You got to make sure nobody accidentally kicks that cord out of the outlet. Or the janitor, like, <laughs> yeah. there's a janitor on board. <laughs> Right. What, what, what if it's oh, like a moving forward with a vacuum oh no whoops the plug <laughs> yeah like what, what, what oh if gosh. for example like uh the spaceship was what what if it's out of electricity and well how? you gotta have backup system after backup system <laughs> make sure your magnetic bottle doesn't run out of electricity because yeah. you know that's the end of everything for you if that happens absolutely and so um so anyways, uh, his design uh, was, he had like this big uh, curved like shield and you'd have the antimatter 
matter reaction. And, you know, it generates a lot of gamma rays and stuff like that. And so anyways, it, it forms a propulsion system and it, it moves the spacecraft along. So therefore you don't, that's another instance where you don't need uh, to carry a bunch of propellant with you. And um, so uh, he, he was one of the world's greatest experts in antimatter. And he wrote science fiction books and all this stuff. And I would have uh, discussions about physics with him. And uh, he's a great guy. And unfortunately, he died some years back. But um, what was uh, his name again? Robert L. Forward. I want to read some of up. his books. That would be. Oh, amazing. yeah. He's got amazing. a book. How do you spell the last here. name? L-E-L -L Forward, like move forward? Yeah. F-O-R-W-A-R-D. Diane, could you hand me Bob Forward's book? Yeah, this this is one of his books. It's not a science fiction book. Let's see if I can get it in front of the camera. Mere, oh, mere, Bob Alpha. No matter if I I don't know if you can. Yeah, darn. Bring it back just a, a little bit. I'll put it on my chest. Yeah. Oh, okay. And um, oh, this is about this is about antimatter. He was one of the world's biggest experts on antimatter, which is wow. why he got the contract with the Air Force. And um, uh, sort of a fascinating book. Um, wow. in, in some of Dominique's classes, I was building a, um, a quantum foam simulator. And I never got a chance to finish it, but maybe I'll get back <laughs> to it someday. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was like, yeah, because before I was doing like a Unity tutorials and i remember in like a, a one one of it a squeak squeak game yeah <laughs> that, that thing and uh, i think uh jim was very creative and turned it into a quantum something before <laughs> i think if you give jim a pencil and a paper clip he does the like physics version of macgyver where he's gonna <laughs> yeah, turn MacGyver, it into yeah. something ridiculous <laughs> and amazing <laughs> Well, so anyways very interesting book very interesting stuff um but i had something else regarding the terraforming of mars and uh so let's see uh let's see can i screen share right now yes yes please okay so let me set me i love our topics every time when we talk about little things we always can link to space which is cool yeah <laughs> which is super relevant since that's <laughs> where humanity is going we might as well be talking yeah about yeah, yeah yeah we're talking about vr applications with the astronauts and all this stuff um so i'm going to share this article okay uh, can you see the article? Yes. Mm -hmm. So can we make Mars Earth-like through terraforming? Now, mm -hmm. this is uh, an article from the Planetary Society, which is a very uh, prestigious group of um, planetary physicists uh, in Pasadena. Probably, I would think, a number of them are related uh, affiliated with uh, JPL. Um, so... Is terraforming Mars possible with the technology we have today? And um, basically, they are somewhat skeptical. Um, um, 
here's in fact here's a little video they have uh terraforming mars spoiler it won't work um one of the problems is that the earth has a protective magnetic field sort of a protective bubble and the sun is constantly spewing out um these dangerous charged um. particles it's part of the solar wind and um without our magnetic bubble around the earth it would just blow our atmosphere away and we would die and plus we would be subject to the radiation of the solar wind and um so that's in fact this is one of the things that you have to watch out for when you have a mission to mars is and this this is something they have to watch out for on the space station as well um when you have like a solar flare it emits a bunch of radiation and it can hit hit the earth and it can knock out our satellites and you know there have been times when it's caused all kinds of problems on earth uh but um you have to worry about that when you're traveling to mars and one of the ways that they would try to shield themselves is to use a lot of water as as a shield it turns out if you use like a lead shield or something that makes things even worse because the radiation hits the the lead shield and then that in turn causes a bunch of radiation to be emitted from the lead and so it makes makes it even worse than the original radiation so lead shielding isn't going to help you plus that's heavy but water you need water on your mission so um you can use water as a shield and that helps i let's see if i can start this video i don't know how much of it i can play i don't know how long it is i don't remember a concept of terraforming means to transform the conditions of an entire planet to make them habitable like Earth. About 4 billion years ago, Mars actually had lakes of liquid water and possibly flowing rivers. Combined with a thick atmosphere, a magnetic field to protect against radiation, and a variety of organic molecules, Mars had favorable conditions to form and support life as we know it. But it probably didn't remain habitable for long. The magnetic field was lost sometime between three to four billion years ago, which allowed the solar wind to strip away most of the planet's atmosphere and surface water, turning Mars into the cold desert we see now. Today, the atmosphere on Mars is far too thin and cold to support liquid water on its surface. With atmospheric pressure that is less than 1% of Earth's, any surface water would quickly evaporate or freeze. So could we reverse nature's effects and transform Mars back into a habitable planet? Here's what it could take and why it's unlikely it'll happen. First, the liquid water. In order for water to remain liquid on a planet, the atmospheric pressure needs to be just right. Some people have suggested that by exploding nuclear bombs over the polar caps on Mars, the heat would vaporize the frozen carbon dioxide and create greenhouse gases that would increase the atmospheric pressure and warm the planet. In theory, this would melt the water ice that we see on the surface of Mars, creating liquid water. Aside from the ethical issues of nuking another planet, this plan would only be a temporary one. To get the atmospheric pressure high enough to sustain the water's liquid form, you'd need to vaporize an extremely large amount of frozen carbon dioxide. Even if we mined Mars's entire surface for carbon dioxide, the atmospheric pressure would still not be nearly enough to sustain liquid water. Another alternative would be to artificially introduce gases that could trap heat even better than carbon dioxide. These kinds of gases are short-lived though, so the process would need to be done repeatedly to keep Mars warm. 
And besides, it would be extremely costly to bring large amounts of these gases all the way to Mars. Water aside, we Earthlings still can't breathe on Mars. Getting oxygen into the atmosphere would be a crucial part of the terraforming. So anyways, it, one idea is to pull out the breathing. It goes on. Uh, so this article, um, it's, it's, a, it's a great article. Um, so if you go to planetary.org, let's see, I'll put the uh, URL in the chat. As soon as they said that one of the options was to send nuclear bombs to Mars, immediately in my mind, I saw Elon Musk dancing and that's being, Elon Musk. Do it. That's let's, his let's idea. Bomb Mars. Like that's immediately what I saw. And I yeah, bet that's, that's his idea. Try. <laughs> yeah, it's something he has suggested. He says, <laughs> Well, the radiation, it'll be in space anyways. Fine. It won't be a problem. I want to bomb some things. Let's do it. <laughs> so um so anyways it's it, it it's very interesting uh mm -hmm. but um there are certainly one heck of a lot of challenges to doing something like that um so anyway there's there's Jim, a, there's I do a have a question and this I I have been trying to think of the movie and I don't know why I can't but I just the, what the, was it? it was the potato uh, one the what is it um, the the one that uh, Matt that Demon uh, was trying to Martian. grow a lot of potatoes. No, this this one was about the somebody who went up in space and they were trying to go through a they were trying to get back to Earth and they were trying to this astronaut pilot was trying to get the flight trajectory just right and each time that he would go through and fail like 30 years would pass on this other planet. I cannot for the life of me remember. Uh, this is this is the one where they were, um, yeah, there were a lot of relativistic stuff. In, I think uh, Stargate, uh, maybe. What's that? Was it Stargate? But Stargate is she one. But the, Stargate the, go ahead, Kyle. No, no, I just, uh, I'm assuming it's Stargate. Unless it was uh, uh, Stargate. Think, was uh, it with McConaughey? Is that with, the, oh, yeah. Interstellar? I think Interstellar. Interstellar. Is yeah. that what you're thinking? No, of? it's not Interstellar. I, I'll I'll look it up this week and I will come back to you. But the 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 imagery that is popping up is that they had created these big shields on the planet that they were on, and they had created a false ecosystem so that you would be able to, you know live because they had a this protective dome and so is something like that possible on uh, mars or are the <clears throat> whatever is happening the magnetic fire blasts that come across mars and all of the other radiation situations you were just talking about would that remove would that strip away and just like plow through huh? any false ecosystems that you could make in fact they talk about that later on in the video Okay. And they said it's just not technically feasible uh, at this point to make a magnetic field that's strong enough to protect it. Yeah, it seems like um, a Mars, like the core of it, is getting weaker and weaker, so it couldn't hold the, hold the yeah, hold, hold the you know the the air uh, protection. Well, well the, yeah. yeah, the reason why we have this protective magnetic field uh, surrounding the Earth 
is that we have a molten metal core in, in the center of the earth and it's rotating. And whenever you have uh, like ions rotating, a char charges rotating, um, you generate a magnetic field. And so that's what makes the magnetic field on earth. And Mars is a significantly smaller planet than the earth is. And it cooled off a long time ago. And um, so whereas our core is still hot, Mars's core cooled off a long time ago. So it's, it's not generating that magnetic field. There's another complication with Mars and they, and they may mention it in, in, this, uh, in this video, in this article. And that is um, every 100,000 years or so, uh, the poles, you know, like the North and South Pole of Mars turn sideways and, you know, like basically sort of like go East and West. And uh, so that is just a huge climatic disruption and it causes ice to form in new places on the planet and so forth. Um, now, why doesn't that happen with Earth? The reason it doesn't happen with Earth is, is because of our moon. It turns out our moon stabilizes our axis of rotation. And so we don't have problems with that. We do have some wobble, but it's it's not a very severe wobble at all. Isn't our isn't our Earth or isn't our core cooling? I thought I just read an article that said that there were scientists who had been monitoring it since maybe the 70s and they're theorizing now that potentially our core could be cooling which would mean that we would be suffering the same fate as yeah i think we will fall into destiny either like a venice or mars well it has to it has to cool eventually right yeah. uh but um i don't think you and i have to worry about that no a few, few billions <laughs> later yeah and and so how, glad that we don't live forever. So glad. But but, but, but we probably another... will live forever though, because some companies inventing something that can rejuvenize human beings. So maybe there, I'm there, not signing up for it. <laughs> there so is a phenomenon temporariness of of my life and how much meaning it brings. <laughs> life is so fleeting, but. Mm -hmm. um, there is another effect that may affect us in our life uh, regarding the Earth's magnetic field. And that is uh, the Earth's magnetic field flips over. Mm -hmm. So right now, whereas your compass uh, points north, your compass says the north is pointing north and the north part of the compass is pointing north. Uh, when the Earth's magnetic field flips over, the north part of your compass is gonna be pointing south. That's weird. And um, this happens. Uh, it looks like we may be approaching a flip um, sometime soon. They're not exactly certain. Uh, but you start to see a degradation of the magnetic field, a temporary degradation. And it looks like we're just before this happens. And it looks like we're starting to see that. And um the Earth's magnetic field is not as perfect as you might think. Um, it has various aberrations in it and holes in it and so forth. And in fact, one of them is is near the area of the Bermuda Triangle. So that may explain no some. Surprised. Yeah. yeah, that may explain some of the weird stuff that goes down there. You know, people say people are flying in their planes. They say all of a sudden the compass doesn't work anymore. Well, that's exactly what would happen if you're having a problem with the magnetic field. So um, 
so anyways we may experience something like that and they've they've seen that uh throughout geological history they can they can see that like when you have uh, volcanic activity as the rocks cool they record the uh direction of the magnetic field the reverse magnetic field as they're cooling and as a a set of rocks are cooling one after the other they can see that change in the magnetic field so it it might happen when it happens it might happen fairly quickly so um so anyways that's something possibly to look forward to so could something like that happen in space so that your friend's antimatter system would just suddenly stop working? Like, could something disrupt the magnetic suspension in an antimatter chamber that would cause the polarity to reverse? And then all of a sudden, all of the antimatter would just be flung into the ship well, and if, everyone dies? If they're in space, then they're not subject to the Earth's magnetic field so much. But um the sun has its own magnetic field. Right. I mean, not the earth, but just is there, are there, is it possible that some magnetic something would happen? Would, like, are there magnetic, think, is there enough magnetic activity in space that that's something that you'd have to be mindful of? I, you know, I imagine there are always cases where that could happen, but I don't know if it, uh, would be very likely that probably the magnetic field in your bottle is, significantly stronger than the ambient magnetic field from from the sun i would think but this magnetic field of the sun like the magnetic field on the earth being a protective bubble the magnetic field of the sun actually protects us from gamma rays to a certain extent that are coming um, from other parts in the universe so um so anyways it's it's very interesting stuff yeah yeah um, I I remember a long time ago I watched some some I don't know documentary. It says like maybe we can use some I don't know some interesting mirrors reflection mirrors so uh to to shoot uh, uh fly on the space and like a super giant mirror solar sail yeah, yeah. Bob Ford and I were gonna work on something like this um he there was a group that was building a solar sail. Um, for whatever reason, I didn't, I didn't get involved in it. I think he was involved in it though. And, um, the idea was that they could piggyback on some space flight and send up their solar sail and, um, the sunlight would actually propel it along. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't remember if they actually got it up into space or not. I think they might have, um, I'd have to dig up the information on that, but I think he was involved in it. I remember him saying they were like folding the sail in a parking lot somewhere, getting it ready. Um, <laughs> Obviously Walmart, because no one asks questions there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can wash your car in the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And and one, one, one of the thoughts is that uh, my thinking is that why not? Because yesterday I was watching like um, another episode. It talks about hot Jupiter, uh, which uh, in other uh, kind of like a solar system there's like a something called hot jupiters that will orbit closer to the their sun right and our jupiter for some reason it's like a orbiting far away so that's why we won't get interrupted because a lot of hot jupiters when they orbit they will kick a lot of um um uh, original 
planet outside of their orbit. So what I was thinking about: what if we can uh, make Venice or other, you know, other planet full of CO two or some, you know, uh, gas like types of a really hot um, uh, planet? If we can make them out run run out of their orbit and collision with Mars, and maybe there will be a new cool bo- newborn. Uh, planet and um, there will be combination of a lot of you know. Well, uh, that's interesting. In, in fact, there's a um, you know it's quite possible that you uh, there was a comet that hit uh, Jupiter. Um, I don't know a couple decades ago, and it made uh, big like holes in the atmosphere that were the size of the earth uh so if you get a large look at the comet that hit the earth 65 million years ago that basically caused the dinosaurs to go extinct that sort of reworked the planet to a certain extent um if you get a large enough asteroid hitting a planet uh it can certainly do all kinds of things with the core uh so um that's interesting. And I suppose you could steer around uh, asteroids to a certain extent. Um, I mean, it would require one heck of a lot of planning and, and so forth. But uh, yeah, just make all the asteroids attack. And if, you screw up, if you screw up and it accidentally hits the Earth, then. Uh... <laughs> wow, then we destroy ourselves, which we are doing right now, right? So, <laughs> ever so slightly faster you know <laughs> yeah so yeah so i i think it's really interesting and the uh, asteroids actually a lot of people study asteroids and find out a lot of organic types of little little things that probably were was the the origin of lives so maybe if we can end a lot of asteroids and let them go out of their uh, orbit or like bump into Mars and just something very similar to Elon Musk's thoughts, like, oh, uh, atomic bombs, nuclear bombs to to Mars. But we put all the asteroids uh, bump to Mars and see how it goes. And try to to not like completely annihilate the planet. (laughs) (laughs) What is is one lick too many? (laughs) Maybe, you know, the reason why Earth got attacked by a lot of uh, asteroids a long time ago was, you know, alien planet. Who knows? Well, one problem that you run into is if you do something like that and modify Mars by throwing asteroids at, uh, then um, you know the changes that occur take like millions of years. So oh, that's true. They get yeah. back to normal and so forth. So it's not going to happen. It, it 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 would not be useful in our time scale to do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. our Earth would probably be destroyed with our own issues by the yeah way. yeah probably- all the wars right yeah yeah um by the way um i wanted to mention something before i forget let's see i don't know if this will work are, are you seeing um oh wow yeah 400 less right yeah metaquest pro oh, yeah. is uh, i should buy dollars off a little later mm. i i noticed that uh, about a week ago i sent um I sent Dominique an email about it, but it's interesting. Now look, it says number one seller. Yeah. Yeah. It, 
because well, it was the rich? cheapest. Uh, Hololens and uh, um, HTC Vive. They have like Elite One, and which was much cheaper. So that's why after HTC Vive uh, launch, uh, Meta Quest Pro reduced the price because it's kind of price matching. And the difference is that uh, I think uh, HTC Vive you can detach the battery and the glass, so uh, which make the entire device lighter. And uh, Meta Quest Pro it kind of features that oh, it will have a camera detach detect detecting your facial expression. So your avatar inside uh, Horizon can talk. Because sometimes, you know, um, uh, when you talk, your avatar's mouth is closed. But uh, the avatar will kind of follow your muscles and uh, you it's kind of syncing with your avatar. So that's kind of the feature uh, that MetaQuest Pro proud of. So yeah, depends. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, right. So I don't know. And then, you know, Apple is going to launch the the, the device, right? And um, yeah, um, I personally think, think that Apple will have content for it because that's one of the things that I just keep hearing over and over and over and over and over again is that all of these devices continue to be launched. And one of the reasons why the VR ecosystem seems to just be bottoming out is because there's not really a ton of great content that's coming out to support spending oh. $3,000. Well, I, you know, whether it's going to be worth 3000 bucks, I don't know, but um, uh, Apple has been hiring people to generate content for them, uh, specifically stereoscopic 3d content. So um, I, they're working on it. Um, I don't know. It's enough to to keep it moving forward. I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but I am seeing it all over the place that people are like, is VR dead? Is VR dead? Like I love VR, but what I was don't think it's dead. It's, it's not dead, but I it's mean, evolving. It really <laughs> needs to figure out about how to in, in, excite people because I think we've all seen and we all have been excited about the headsets, but if you don't have use cases, then mm you know, it ends up being a, a super cool paperweight. I, let me pull, I just read this tweet from Blair Renaud that says, I love VR. I really do. But top selling game is five years old. Number one platform is mobile owned by Corpo dorks. They just closed the top esports title. Kane's just canceled its XR category. Most visionaries are gone. PSVR two market is unknown and quest three equals beat saber help me i'm like i mean you're not wrong yeah I, right i think the the price of these headsets is going to be a huge factor um i mean I, but your phone right your your like i bought mm, yeah the new phone and it's kind of even more expensive or equivalent to MetaQuest pro there's more than a thousand right so yeah. i don't know about the pricing but i do agree about the content the content <laughs> or like the use usage uh the application is not uh un like practical enough for me to use those for example like uh, my this one right i just got a notification that my laundry is done and i need to go and grab it but you see like uh that has said you won't kind of do anything practical really practical except for example like working socialing but those i can use zoom mm -hmm. and uh it's easier right now because 
for example, why not we host everything in 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 metaverse? Why? Because I need another camera device that can record the entire process, and it requires another person to do it. So that's why,、um, yeah, we do Zoom.、Um, yeah, I think the the usage or application is not there yet. So that's why. But I think what they should. I'm sorry, Jacqueline. Were you going to say something? No, I was just I was、um, agreeing and just basically saying that for all of the for all of the research that's being done, I think all like all of that energy needs to be directed towards、um, customer use because I think a majority of the stuff is business research right now, which is understandable. Yeah, yeah. If you really want the industry to grow, then you're going to have to focus on the consumer markets, and that means you know finding a good balance between something that is mobile because you know those are what's already in people's hands and taking the leap, putting the money in, and you know getting bigger gains out that are not beat three, beat saber three, and whatever the zombie game is that came on my. That I cannot play because it freaks me out, and I just cannot do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting, and also,、uh, software it、uh, resided on hardware, right? Right now, hardware there is no best practice of the hardware that proven that everyone loves. So software. It seems like people are trying to create something according to our current technology, not really go too far. For example, right right now, all the metaverse was built on web, right? Because the majority of people has the laptop or phone, so people are slowly migrate, but kind of very similar to Apple's approach. They do a little bit, but they need to monetize in order to go for it. I think right now only Meta is like. Go super far without even have a group of people or、uh, sustainable income and just do it. And、uh, yeah, so so right now everyone is doing really safe. And even you see like big corporation, they do the metaverse, but in two D platform and without headset, you can access it. And I think only Meta or yeah, only Meta probably do everything inside headset first. So it's very interesting to see the entire economy, and right now it's recession. So people will do more conservative ways. So for the headset, it's probably only the super giant companies they have budget to create those, and slowly the small company will create something more like two D that、uh, can generate a little income, so they can move forward and later on merge into the headset device. Yeah, I I think、uh, one of the interesting things I, I was reading the other day that the Quest Pro only has about five percent of the sales of the Quest Two, and、uh, so from a developer standpoint, people don't want to develop for it specifically.、Uh, they're happy to develop something that runs on the Quest Two. They can also run on the Pro, but it's sort of a small market to develop just for the Pro itself. Um, yeah, I I think um they they share the same UI same system. So if you launch on Quest Two, target on it, you can open on Meta Quest Pro. But、yeah. people, but but Meta Quest Pro has some certain features. For example, passing through. But 
Quest Two can do the passing through, or uh, yeah. So it's kind of the same, but uh, uh, Meta Quest Pro can detect your uh facial expression, and Quest Three upcoming might have cooler features. Um, yeah, and and Apple, yeah, Apple people still and because Apple has been known for its uh, uh hardware, so. When Apple launch its headset, it will change the entire consumer uh, behavior as well. And you see the phone; there's no way to go is except the camera, right? <clears throat> Every time when Apple updates their new phone or announce their new phone, it's always emphasize the processor and the, the camera. So phone becomes the new camera and the 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 new. Um, upcoming wearable device will be the new um, phone. Yeah, I mean that's what they're hoping at least that that they can rock the market and create a a more standardized thing, whatever that technology is. That then we all adapt to. Yeah, I think we need to adapt to because yeah, you see somebody AI right? Somebody that's yeah a, a, AI. It seems like I I saw the content generation Chat GPT can actually create a show, or create a game on its own. They can kind of write a script and create. I saw on my LinkedIn feed, Chat GPT is kind of doing a science science science, uh science fail. Like they are trying to generate some random script and uh, inside three D spaces and have random characters speak some. Something and kind of uh, optimize it. So in the future, maybe we watch something that computer generate. I don't know. It's just very scary. And、uh, I also saw another post talks about our like it says our job won't be replaced by AI, but will be replaced by people who use AI.、Mm-hmm. So how can we? Yeah, how can we kind of use AI or that types of As you know, device and kind of learn how to room AI and do、uh, some useful、um, kind of like a, a application or something that can benefit ourselves. And a lot of jobs that in the past that is really prestigious, like、uh, you know, software development or doctor, lawyer, they will be replaced by a lot of AI. So. How can we rewind or prepare ourselves and to another era? Like long time ago, we entered to the、um, industry, right? Like industrial revolution, and now we need to enter to another new evolution, which is AI. So it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah I was actually just on a、um, I was watching a conference about upskilling. In the、um, in any industry, it doesn't matter. So the people who were on this panel, one was from J.P. Morgan Chase, and the other I don't remember where the other ones. They were big tech companies,、um, but <clears throat> they were talking about how they are approaching the AI and how they are. Each of these people were figuring out how to move their company forward. And the the biggest takeaway that I Love and I have been talking about a lot recently is that one of the gentlemen said that AI, with the advent of AI, 
you don't necessarily have to worry that AI is going to replace your job because it, it, at best right now, it can augment. And why would we allow ourselves to be replaced when the augmenting of our jobs is going to drive efficiency and um, it's going to drive progress forward? But he said, the thing that each of us needs to take on as our personal responsibility is to learn how to interact with AI, just like Dom was saying. And you learn how to interact with it personally and you learn how to interact with it professionally. So, you know, as a um, as an art director or someone in marketing in, or a designer or like on the art end versus somebody who's a, a DevOps engineer or, you know, whatever the industry is, those people are really afraid right now because they're like, you know, how am I going to ride out this wave? Well, you you ride it out by learning how to ask the questions. You learn how to act to to appropriately prompt the AI to get exactly what you need. And so interact with it daily. His advice was that he's telling himself as well as everybody in the company, ask it what you ask it the the groceries needed to make a chicken parmesan. Ask it to plan a travel guide for you to go to the Bahamas and ask it, you know, let's brainstorm what are some, um, what are imagery trends? I just asked it that, like, what are trends, what are um, glyphs and imagery that's trending? And ChatGPT gave me a pretty comprehensive list. Like if someone would have asked me, I would have said, you know, those as well. And that way you really can understand how, like, where do I begin and where does AI begin? And then where can we help one another so that I am, again, working faster, working more efficient and creating something that's bigger than just what I can do. And that way, and if, if each of us does that, then we have less to worry about that, you know, AI is going to suddenly have this weird Terminator <laughs> sci-fi situation that it revolts and rises up against us because each of us are contributing and, and say, no, I don't want that. I actually want you to help me with this and this and this and this. Just like Google became so powerful because it's the combination of billions of people asking it questions and providing it information that if each of us, the waitresses and the janitors and the designers and the doctors and the lawyers and all of the people, if we all work together and learn these new skills, then we will come out ahead with something that makes a lot more sense for where we are right now, as opposed to just saying, well, that's not my, I don't need to worry about that. That's not my job because I, I don't directly work in something that requires AI, you know? And then that's like, you were saying that my voice doesn't matter in the future, if that makes sense. I, I think there's a shoe that has yet to drop uh, when it comes to things like chat GPT. And that is, uh, the issue of fair use in copyright law. And um, there have been some cases that have hit the courts. I, I know there's one uh, about um, it giving you snippets of code, for example, that um, you may not have the legal right to use. So, so anyways, uh, I think as time goes on, we're going to start to see cases hit the courts that may have an impact on this. Uh, it's sort of like when Napster first came out, you know, everybody's beating all this free music and, you know, they basically shut that down, except now go to YouTube and I don't know of any music that isn't available for free on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So um, 
so anyways, I think there there's probably going to be some action there and that may affect some of this and it may affect how companies implement some of this stuff. But what if uh, the entire civilization, we involve that there is no copyright because well, you I can get everything inspired by there. There's no special things in this under the sun, right? There is nothing uh, fresh uh, under the sun. So what if AI becomes our uh, daily life and then we generate stuff and a lot of things because copyright or, you know, a lot of legal stuff just came out probably a hundred years ago, right? Or 200 years ago, like super long time ago, a lot of masters work, they are not even being copyrighted, right? Like Da Vinci or Michelangelo's, right? So I don't know, like copyright this thoughts is that, oh, uh, I study hard and I came up with this unique idea and I protect it and I use this to monetize it. But what if in the future AI, you use AI to generate something and is this uh, IP belongs to Jet, chat GPT or belongs to you? I, I think if you look, for example, at Instagram, um, there have been a number of cases about people who have taken Instagram content and then started selling it um, that wasn't theirs, content that, that someone else generated on Instagram that wasn't theirs. And so, you know, that's a problem from a legal standpoint, and they're not allowed to do that. But uh, although if you sign up for Instagram, um, Facebook basically has all the rights to everything you generate, um, and they have those rights forever in perpetuity, forever. So, um, and they can do what they want with it. So, but that's not exclusive. They don't have exclusive rights in, in your work. Uh, but um, I there's a problem though. If you have no copyrights, if you have no patents, then people cannot make money from generating these things. Uh, if there's no patents, then you cannot make money from generating new technologies because some big company will just knock you off. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and therefore, there's no incentive uh, because you can't make a living doing this stuff. So, um, so you have to have intellectual property protections. But I think if you look at what's happened with music, uh, like on YouTube, um, nowadays, uh, musical artists, these big bands and so forth, make money from doing tours. They don't make money from yeah, yeah, right, from selling partnerships that they endorsements i guess is the right word yeah they get well, some revenue from youtube i guess but i don't know how much mm -hmm. what if in the future people use ai to generate arts and then for example i use chat gpt to generate arts and i um like my arts sells a lot is this right belongs to me pattern belongs to me or chat gpt because you see big companies is using chat gpt to assist their engineers to do things like including all the big techs, right? So now we can say that, oh, I create this. But in the future, if AI assists you, is the credit belongs to AI or you? I, I think what you're probably going to see is you're going to see markets where there are AI solutions available to do the things that you need to do, but you're going to have to pay for that. I don't think it's going to be a thing that's um, 
just advertising uh, funded. So um, I I don't know. There was a uh, I think Jacqueline had brought up some articles about um, do not pay. Is that the name of the service? The legal. Oh service? yeah, they he was gagged. He was they they had to cancel that because he had enough threats saying that he would go to jail if he continued on with that case that he made a big announcement. It was, I think, at the end of January because it was supposed to happen mid-February. And he is he's saying that he cannot move forward. And so he will continue to do the work that he had been working, helping people pay their or get out of tickets that they shouldn't like un tickets that they shouldn't have gotten and you know getting out of subscriptions that they didn't want to pay for but that yeah he was completely shut down well there's uh liability issues for example for many many years for decades uh there have been ai based systems for medical diagnoses and so forth but they weren't implemented because of liability issues so in other words, you create this AI system that's going to diagnose people's diseases. And if you screw up, if your system screws up, then you could be sued. Uh, just like Tesla is being sued for car accidents uh, mm -hmm. with their self-driving system. So um, that has been a big factor. Um, although, you know, I think there are going to be ways to test these things so that you can validate them. And um, that will make them more ubiquitous. Um, so there's a lot of processes that are going to go on uh, to make these things so that you can use them and so that they aren't going to generate a lot of legal problems and so forth. But um, as with all disruptive policy uh, technologies, you know, we're seeing how this all plays out right now. I mean, Elvis Presley, when he first hit the scene, he was very disruptive. And so he created sort of a legal uproar about his hip swivel his hips, and stuff like that. Yeah. Movements and his swagger. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> but whenever you have these disruptive things happening, society sort of goes through an adjustment period mm -hmm. where it becomes sort of a stable mechanism. Yeah, talks about legal. I can share uh, one news real quick. I know like we keep... Uh, training into a lot of interesting areas. Uh, this one is uh, on bbc.com and the title is called Metaverse App Allows Kids into Virtual Strike <laughs> Clubs. It's like you are going to the red, you know, red zone or, you know, red light zones in Amsterdam or uh, interesting uh, places. So this article talks about someone, a researcher uh, proposing, uh, posing as a three 13 year old girl um, and she went to somewhere but the avatar is a little girl inside here and she saw a lot of rapping here uh, in VR chat so it's yeah and she was like so see a lot of sex toys on the table and uh, you see like this even though it says like oh this is a dangerous zone right uh, but VR chat is where all the kids are uh, in VR and I saw some um, videos inside that, that there are, because it's all anonymous and the avatars, you can bring anything. Like I saw like Winnie the Pool and all the interesting um, 
uh, enemy types of avatar. You can bring your own avatar in, and tons of girl, uh, tons of kids. And uh, some sometimes, if you see like YouTube, and you can see a lot of adults and using you know motion capture suit and uh, trying to manipulate their um uh, entire um uh, avatars, and you can see like some. Uh, behaviors that might not appropriate for a little kid, and uh, yeah, so this researchers kind of went into and sh she said, uh, uh, adults play uh ground for that VR chat instead of kids, but it's for kids, right? So uh, uh, it will be sometimes some 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 rooms well uh you might see in the red light district in Amsterdam or more likely the Soho part at night for kids so uh she was worried about there are not a lot of moderations inside those places and kids you see like a group of men surrounding them both and joked about raping them so you know, like since there's no regulations and it's anonymous and anonymous is kind of one way for people to start uh, acting bad because, you know, you, nobody will catch you, right? It's anonymous. So some part of humans, bad, uh, scary part will, will, will be released. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting to see this types of awareness start being raised uh, since there is no regulations here. So what do you think about uh, the regulations there? Because in real world, even though we have regulations, there are still some crimes over uh, here and there. But uh, we for, for VR, we will just bring all the problems that we have in current in, uh, reality and bring into VR. And how can we even regulate this? Uh, the new, uh, the new generation will pretty much live on these types of uh, internet and interact with people. And how can a parent, um, you know, like uh, help protecting uh, children of the future internet? Any thoughts? I thought that Mark Zuckerberg said that everything in the metaverse was going to be clean. And that they weren't going to allow anything like this. I don't know. Well, that might be their metaverse, but anybody can make a metaverse. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know. I don't I don't know how the how you have a a viable age enforcement. I mean, you'd have to do some. I mean, it's good that these types of research articles are surfacing so that regulation can quickly come before it gets even more mainstream than it already is. So amazing job, researcher. I don't know your name, but congratulations. Um, it seems like it will, we, I don't know if we're at the technology right now, but I know that um, and, and not, anonymity is important, but if you have eye scans to be able to get into this place, to get into certain places, then your eyes are tied to a particular account. So, you know, as a mom, I would absolutely have my child's eye scan put in there so that it would be, you know, if when the device is on the person's head, if it's not, if it's seeing her eyes as, I mean, she's two, so she's obviously not going to be trying to get into something, but you know, for like a 15 year old boy or something, it's just like, 
you are not authorized to be in this space and end of story, you know, I mean, something, something um, like, bot, what is it? Biometric scanning would have to be in place because, you know, as soon as you brought this article up, I'm immediately thinking of the fact that we actually don't really have any regulations on porn sites. I mean, or on alcohol sites, all you do is you say, yes, I promise you I'm 18, but I mean, like that is not stopping anybody. You need to show your ID, like, uh, going right. to grocery, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there has to be something that you, you would, and, well, I mean, if, if you had an ID, I guess the biometric scanning, you'd have all of that data to begin with. But if you, you know, if you had an actual ID that you scanned, then potentially somebody could steal the ID and steal ID and steal your identity. Whereas I think that maybe is less likely with an eye scan, but yeah, there would there will have to be some sort of a actual stop gate in some of these areas because if you're looking like the the the, the um, argument for VR is that it creates these immersive experiences as if we were there, and you embody those experiences drastically differently than you're embodying the experience on the a canvas or the 2D platform as people are calling it. And so if if you are embodying the witnessing somebody raping someone versus if you're seeing this as a, a, a video on whatever insert random porn website here, you are going to feel that and it is going to create a lasting impression that that technology needs to speed up quickly to be able to um, create some safety gates. I can't yeah. even get the fingerprint reader on my Mac to work. So I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I think it requires a lot of like a technologies to make sure that maybe there's like a parental control, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Somewhere that kids, uh, if there's like a, some, uh, when, when, when setting up the device for kids, there's a parental control sync up to, uh, your phone or your device and make sure that a lot of appropriate uh, content can be blocked and for kids to have uh, you know a, a better environment for them to grow and until they grow up they do whatever they like but when they were young it's kind of like uh, trying to give them a, a better place to 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 learn to interact so yeah so it's very interesting that um, we we discuss a lot of uh, topics related to Mars, related to space and to the um, uh, regulations and to the kind of like a, more like a, a law regulation part of it. Kyle, do you have anything to share? Um, yeah, no, um, I mentioned in the chat that, uh, you know, uh, VR, uh, it just needs uh, some time to grow. Like for example, the education space, uh, they're testing these VR headsets, I think, uh, on children with autism and, you know, ADHD. So what's happening, it's actually, it's reversing the brain's uh, neural structure. They, they are able to concentrate more, but they're using like simple VR games. Uh, it's, it's focused more on the frontal lobe and like the outer parts of the brain, but it's, it's a work in progress, you know. Yeah, it's gonna come soon. Yeah. I, I read the other day that taking mm -hmm. up a musical instrument increases your IQ by about 10%. And mm -hmm. so I just wonder uh, whether this VR stuff would increase your IQ as well. Yeah, it would, it would, Jim. 
I mean, with autistic children. I think if, yeah, if we can put, I don't know, I, I think Elon Musk always like a three steps ahead of the, <laughs> the civilization. If we can insert some, um, I don't know, chips inside our brain, because uh, I, I read, I actually listened to Singularity recently, and it talks about yeah. right now we are resisting the chips inside, insert our brain and merge with AI, become cyber person. But look at right now, we are doing a lot of plastic surgery, right? We, imp we, we put something that artificial inside our body and make us pretty, right? And think about this, if we use this concept and insert chips inside our brain and make our smarter, that makes sense. I, I think the thing you have to worry about is turning the, your brain into mush. Um, when you insert probes and stuff, there's a lot of potential for damage there. Um, yeah. I was involved in, in, in uh, sort of a design of a system to monitor neurons in the brain. And... Um, so it used a new different, a new kind of antenna and so forth to, to do that. And it, perhaps that is the way to do the interface is to use, um, you know, brainwave signals. Uh, there was some research uh, that went on decades ago. I don't know if, how much it's still going on. It, I know it was used for training uh, drone pilots by the U.S. military. But <clears throat> there are people who are savants. Who can like you'll you can you can take some savants and like fly them in a helicopter over London, and then they can afterwards draw an entire detailed sketch of London from memory. And it's because uh they don't have the normal focus of attention mechanism that most people have. You know, you or I generally when we're seeing something like that, there might be some little things that interest us and we focus on those, uh, the things that seem most important to us. Whereas savants uh, can lack that focus of attention mecha mechanism. So they record everything, they take in everything. And so uh, there was a way to put sort of a helmet on your head that would sort of like microwave your brain and turn off that focus system temporarily so that you would be able to absorb all this information. And uh, they were doing that with drone pilots for the US military, and they found that it improved their performance significantly. Uh, now, one of the research who, researchers who was a big advocate of this and who was doing this, I noticed in the documentaries, the science documentaries that he was in over the years, he gradually developed like a tick. And- Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean if that's like a tick or like a third arm growing or yeah. like, come on. <laughs> so that scares me a little bit. Introducing electromagnetic fields, especially large electromagnetic fields into your brain sort of bothers me a little bit. I mean, it was successful. It did what he was trying to do and he would do it to himself. And, and all of a sudden he had these savant-like capabilities that would last for a while. They were temporary, but um I don't know if I would want to be. I'm not signing up for that either. I'm not signing up to go to space. I'm not signing up to microwave my brain. I'm good on that. <laughs> I'll oh. sign up for some other things, but no. But if we scan ourselves, <laughs> right? We scan ourselves and uh, uh, create another uh, virtual ourselves inside cyber. Like, can and when we 
do things and it kind of maybe make our digital twins um, uh, combine with AI. Eventually, and, maybe we'll be able to do that. Like this brain scanning stuff that, that I was helping out with. Um, you know, if you were able to expand that system and what it comes down to, what's important is to monitor large populations of neurons all at once. And if you can do that, and if you know the locations of those neurons, then you can sort of start to reconstruct the brain uh, because now you have a map of the brain activity and uh, to some extent, the synaptic connections and so forth. And you could start to simulate that. Another area that I think is very interesting that may lead to something like this is, you know, our DNA is the blueprint of us. Mm. You can build a human based on that DNA. Yeah. And uh, 3D and, print, right? 3D print. Well, it's, it has all the instructions. And so the problem is we can't understand all of those instructions. Uh, we can clone somebody. But uh, we can't understand all those instructions so that we understand how all the systems work. But there's been a lot of progress made uh, recently. In fact, there was an AI system that was able to determine the structure of all the proteins in the human body. And that was a big hurdle is understanding these proteins, because that gives you a lot of hints as to understanding the chemistry, the biochemistry that goes on. And so if you can link the DNA to the biochemistry that goes on and the proteins that are generated, then that's starting to tell you how everything works in your body. And if you can, we got the blueprints, they're just sitting there. If you can figure out how to decode that connection, then I mean, there are gonna be tremendous leaps in, in medical technology and in simulating humans, uh, creating new artificial intelligence systems that are based on the structure of the human brain all kinds of stuff in the future it's coming as long as we don't destroy ourselves with climate change or something first or if we don't accidentally hurl an asteroid into our earth yes yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i i saw the the twitter uh that shows that passing through playing piano my question is that you see when we play piano we use our soul some Sometimes some really good uh, um, composers, they close their eyes and come up with beautiful music. But when you play something like game, like it's just, you need to hit the, the notes. It's kind of not following the, the, you know, kind of making yourself. It's just like, you know, oh, I see this hit to this finger and I need to press this instead of, oh, the core, the theories, the entire feelings, like, I don't know. It's gamify is interesting. It's kind of motivation, but somehow if we focus on that for music, I don't know, you, you know, like if you get a higher score, it doesn't mean you play good piano. It I, just means you hit the higher score. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. Um, I do 3D photography and I'm a big fan of Queen. And Brian May, the lead guitarist of Queen, he does 3D photography. So we occasionally intersect. And I've, I've met him before. But um, I, what I, I had a little project that I was doing where I was trying to, I, I got, uh, you can buy uh, basically a synthesizer that recreates his guitar, the sound of his guitar. And so I got that. And I was taking various, I like classical music as well. I, I was taking various classical music pieces 
and trying to have his guitar perform them. And um, so it was pretty interesting. And in the process, I was getting sheet music um, from the web. There's a lot of free sheet music that's available. But one of the things that I noticed, and I know I've heard this before, is that if you just play the sheet music, it sounds very mechanical and very dull. But, you know, real musicians have a way of accentuating things and changing the timing a little bit that makes it much more interesting. And um, that's one of these things like what you're talking about is uh, you can play it mechanically, but there's something that the human adds that yeah. much more yeah, well, you're, you're it's like a difference between um reading something out of a book versus um reciting what you remember because if you're reading something or if you're just you're processing through data but you're not um you are not internalizing it then yeah. you don't have the same it doesn't hit you or you don't embody that information the same as when you are then asked, okay, you just learned something, then what? And then you are bringing yourself into that and your brain is working differently. So there, I know that there were studies done and of course, like the guitar hero, it's not a real guitar, but there were some studies done about, you know, do people play guitar better after playing guitar hero? The answer is no, because it's not a real guitar but it helps you get into the idea of maybe you'd want to pick it up. And so I could see something like this. Do you, Dom, do you want to screen share that? Oh yeah. That, um, so, since we're all talking about it now, it could see something like this being a cool tool to get somebody into the idea of playing piano and familiarizing themselves with um, that almost like rote memorization of how your fingers are meant to move and the, you know, the idea of quickly smoothing your hands across in different areas. But no, I agree that you're not really playing until you are, um, you're looking at the music and you're not being spoon fed the answer. You have to think of the answer because when you're thinking of the answer, your brain is lighting up differently than when you're given the answer, you know? Yeah. That's by the way, that's Moonlight Sonata. That's the first thing I learned how to play on the piano. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite things to play on the piano. I love that song. Yeah. And uh I, I would say this person definitely know how to play piano. And uh, so it's like a dance dance of revolutions, but uh uh put on the fingers. Uh yeah, I, I do think that uh, for example, like just learn it, uh the skills that would definitely help. But uh, if you wanna move to advanced, maybe um yeah, some 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 basic theories may may helps or uh, some some types of other training traditional training might help. Because for you example, also, yeah, I was just say you'd also need to figure out how to link the sheet music. It'd be hard to for yourself to be able to to bounce back and forth between the sheet music and the fingers, but to um to really learn music is to learn a new language and the, the notes on the paper are the language. And so for you to um, express yourself eloquently, then you'd really need to know how those notes are um, corresponding to the notes on the actual sheet music so that you'd be able to then continue and teach yourself. Yeah. Cause for example, like when I play piano, it's, it's like the same sheet and I hit all the notes, right? But uh, the feeling will be different from the master play, right? Because mm -hmm. they know how to do softer. Because one time when I play piano and my friend, he's a master, 
he told me that Dom softer, softer. And I was like, hey, I hit everything right. And it, you know, sometimes you need to use saw inside each right nose hitting instead of just hitting right. So there's another level of saw level that probably those gamification might not be able to achieve. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Any other thoughts or uh, um, news want to share? Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I will see everyone next week. Good. Good, uh, good sharing, by the way. And I'm really mm -hmm. looking forward to every Saturday's hour mm -hmm. meeting. It's, it's very interesting to see a lot of um, interesting shares. Okay, so see you guys next week. And uh, yeah, Jim, maybe we can sync the, the description to yes. yeah, LinkedIn or email. Mm, okay. Yeah. Bye -bye. Okay, thanks everyone. Okay, have a good weekend, everyone.